if you're listening to this uh, online at some point in the future and you're frustrated because you can't find part three, it's because it doesn't exist. So those of you that were blessed enough to be in here two weeks ago and hear part three, you're the only ones that will ever hear it because it, we had a, some kind of technology fail. So that's the situation with that. But anyway, part four, let's pray and uh, jump into this so we don't get behind tonight. I'm glad to see you. I know there's a lot going on, uh, but we have a good father who's in control. So let's pray and seek his face, and then we'll ask him to speak to us. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thanks for this opportunity. Like every opportunity you give us to be together, we rejoice in your goodness to us through your word and through the proclamation of it. We pray that you grant ears to hear, hearts to receive. We pray that we find peace tonight as we sit in this place and know, Lord, that uh, irregardless of maybe some of the tension that we felt today with all the things going on in our nation and our country, that we would be reminded of your kingship, of your authority, of your word. You proclaimed before the foundation of the earth that you would rule and reign and that you would be in control and that earthly leadership would be your domain and a place where you would orchestrate things. And so, God, we're here tonight to study your word in submission to it and in complete and full joyful trust in you. Thank you that your word never fails. Thank you that it never returns void. Thank you that it meets us in every valley that we find ourselves in, every situation and circumstance. So this is no different than any other moment in our life from your perspective and authority other than we have this opportunity to learn this truth for your glory, honor, and praise. So we pray that would happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Reminder, as disciples of Jesus, we are to be active in the process of our salvation and transformation into Christ's likeness. That's what we've been talking about. It's an inescapable fact of the gospel that really when you look at salvation, salvation uh, comes to us the same way God does in a, in the, in a trinity of salvation. We have justification, which is the moment of conversion. We have glorification, which is our last breath in this life, and we're glorified and stand before God. And in the middle of that, we have sanctification, which is what we're talking about here. And uh, we all have the same justification. We all have the same glorification if we're in Christ. Sanctification is the only thing that's different. So the way that the decisions that you make, the way that you choose to live, your spiritual discipline, all those things, all have an effect. They do not have an effect on your justification. They do not have an effect technically on your glorification. But it has an effect on your sanctification. And so we're all on a journey, but we don't move at the same pace. And so some of you are, going, are lapping a lot of people on the course of sanctification. Some of you are being lapped by a lot of people. And the reason for that is has nothing to do with 
uh, your intellect or your giftedness or God's purpose or plan. It has everything to do with your participation in the progression of sanctification. Okay? So we talked about, uh, I talked about three weeks ago, I talked about thoughts and how important what we think is and how thoughts lead to our actions. Then Pastor Matt talked about feelings and how thoughts and feelings work together and how feelings will take us hostage if we're not careful. They, feelings oftentimes uh, are the trigger of how we'll act. And so what you need to think about tonight as we move into this is um, the way these two things operate is why do you, why do you think certain things about certain things? You see, there's, there's everything you, you think something about whatever it is. I could just start naming things, and, you, and we would say, well, I have an opinion about it. Well, you have thoughts about it. But your thoughts are different than other people's thoughts. Why do you think that? And the answer is because of the w- things that have molded and been shaped in you, the way you were raised, experiences that you've had have, have implications in the thoughts that you think. Same thing. Why do you feel the way you feel about certain things? And why is it different from other people? Why are you more passionate about some things and less passionate about other things? And then other people are the opposite way. It's because that's how, that's who you are. And you need to be self-aware about that. You should be very conscious of the fact that you think certain things and feel certain things. And those two things have tremendous power in what you ultimately do. And so that's why the Bible says take every thought captive. It's important. Like Pastor Matt was talking about, uh, we resist unhealthy feelings. Because if we don't, we can be held hostage. We can be taken captive by them. So tonight what we're going to talk about is transforming our character and of course when I say that we don't transform anything God's the one that transforms it but we participate in the process and the degree to which our character is transformed is going to be directly related to the degree to which we cooperate with the process and uh, the best illustration I have I've said this uh, over the years from multiple different Uh, vantage points, but I had a professor in seminary who was brutally hard. And he would, it would frustrate me so much because we would go into class and he would hand out the test and then uh, he would pray for us before we took the test. And he would always pray this annoying prayer. He would say, God, bless each of these students in accordance with their preparation. Yeah, amen. See, that's how sanctification works. And so, that's a good prayer unless you're a student in that class. Because I just want God to bless me in that moment. Amen. So, what we're asking is, is that, uh, you know, our, does our character match our confession? In other words, what we're confessing to be true on Sunday, does that, is that matching our character on Monday and Friday and so on and so forth? Are those two things the same? Now, 
you know, I, I always have to have good definitions for things. I can't talk about something without a definition. So let's talk about character. It's the internal overall structure of ourself that reveals our long-running patterns of behavior. See, what your character is something that has been developed over a long period of time. And it's going to take some time to sanctify it and to transform it. And so it's not an instantaneous process. But these tendencies that we have, as we go into this tonight, you'll see they're long-running patterns. But the good news is our character can change. You know, you can't change uh, your DNA. You can't change, um, you know, you can't change your height. You can't change your eye color. You can't change things about yourself that are just the way they are. But character is not one of those things. Character can change. And it has, your character has changed and will continue to change. And God gives that opportunity. And if you have kids, you are very aware and thankful that character changes. Because that's, that's what a parent's job is from day one. You're changing character. See, if, if the character of your child never changed, well, let's, if, let's say if our character never changed from when we were children, we would be very alone right now. Because we would still think that everything was mine and ours and that we wouldn't share and we would, you see, all of that's all character changing. It's all character shaping. That's what all of that is. And not only that, uh, if you want to think about how character changes in a negative way, um, so many illustrations of this that I've, painful illustrations that I've walked through with people, but you, you, could, you could have a perfectly healthy, reasonably healthy, uh, or normally, I would say, healthy, emotional young lady who unbeknownst to her gets involved with a young man who's not healthy at all. And the relationship becomes very unhealthy. Maybe it becomes abusive. If she's in that relationship for any duration of time, the longer that goes on, that is going to shape her character in a negative way. There's no way around it. You know that. It's going to shape her. She's going to be different from that. It's going to take a long time to unravel that, see? And so when we things that happen to us impact our character all the time. And the other thing we need to know, not only does it change, but that desire alone is not going to carry us to the change that we desire, to Christ-like behavior. Wanting Christ-like character isn't going to get you there. It's going to take more than a desire. So, the million-dollar question right off the bat is, well, how do we change our character? And we do that by addressing the will. And I know that that is not something that you probably would have guessed. But it is the way that character is changed because character is uh, what you see the the will 
is what the Bible would refer to as the heart. Those are synonyms or the soul. But the heart of, of, of the seat of our emotions, all of the essence of who we are, the will. So you could put the will is the engine that drives character. And then in parentheses, I would write the word heart over will so that if you go back over this at some point in the future, you can remember that, that those two are interchangeable. And so it's the will that drives our character. See, if you say, if you say well, you know, I've identified the fact that I think these thoughts about certain things and they're not healthy. Why do I do that? Well, the fact that you've identified that is great or that you feel certain feelings about something, the fact that you've identified that is great. But what causes you to act on the thoughts and the feelings that you have is the will. You had the will to do it. That's why you did it. The will. So another way to think about the will would be to think about it as it's the source of our self-determination. You see, we, for example, think about uh, all of the, there, you know, just think about any story in the Bible, but let's go back to the beginning. Like, you all know the details surrounding uh, the fall in the garden. And so, but the fact that, that uh, Adam and Eve made the decision that they made, okay, but what was behind that decision, you know, they felt there was thoughts associated with feelings, but the will is what drove the actual act that brought sin into creation. It was the will to do that. It was the self-determination to do that. And that's how it happens in your life, and that's how it happens in my life. And so what, what does it look like? What does a will look like that's been transformed into Christ-likeness? Like, what is the bullseye on the target? What are we talking about tonight? What are we aiming for? Well, this is how I would describe that. A determined and joyous devotion to God, His will, and service to others because of Him. Because of Him. Jesus is our model. So if you look at John chapter 8, for example, where Jesus says, well, He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. What is Jesus driving at here? Is He driving at is this some robotic obedience? No. It's his will. So Jesus, because Jesus, when he thinks thoughts about the Father, he has perfect clarity about the Father, right? Obviously. When he feels feelings about the Father, they're perfect, sinless feelings about the Father. And so those two things come together and form His perfect, flawless will to accomplish the Father's 
which is why I say things all the time like the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Because if you're, th- see, that's the thing. Behind Jesus' will is the correct thoughts and feelings about God. And so if you have incorrect thoughts and feelings, they're going to lead to a skewed will. You're not going to accomplish, you're not going to walk in obedience to God's will with wrong thoughts and feelings about God. That's not how that's going to work. Because even if you did what, what God was asking you to do, it would still be wrong. Because it would be the right action for the wrong motivation, wouldn't it? Yes, see? So these are things that we know are true from our normal lives, but we, we need to think of them in this sort of way to kind of challenge ourselves to, you know, examine our hearts and to think about, you know, how we're... You see, we're made in the image of God, Right? So we say things like, well, I'm not perfect. You say that. You're not perfect. Because I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. But I was created in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. Did God make a mistake when he made you? Is the image that you bear a mistake? No. So what happens? How does that reconcile? What happens is I... When I do something that, I'm, that I shouldn't do, I step out of my perfect image as a, my image into something else to do that. It, it's not that the image is wrong. It's that I've stepped away from that. I've forsaken that. I've moved out of that. Does that make sense to you? See, we're stepping out of what God made us to be. God didn't make a mistake. So what I'm saying here is that we, we, can't, we can't lay these things on God. See, as a, as a believer who understands who the God of the Bible is, I mean, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this before. But like when you're giving your testimony, and, I, and I'm not, you know, if, if this is, something that you've shared before I'm, I'm not putting that down I'm just asking you to think about it and maybe you need to change the way you phrase it but what are you saying if you stand up in front of a group of people and you say you know all my life I've struggled with this you know I, I have a problem with anger because I grew up in a home with a father that was angry Now, the, the reason why anger was manifest in you is because it was exhibited to you through your father. But it is not, the fact that you have an anger problem is not in any way, shape, or form your father's fault. That's your, that's your issue. You understand? Because then this is why. Because if it's not, what you're saying is, is that God is limited by my experiences or my predispositions or my family of origin. No. Your heavenly father is not hindered because you grew up in some broken situation. Amen? 
So that's not how that works. That would be like somebody saying, look, I don't grow as fast in my relationship with Christ because my IQ is not as high as other people's. What? That's insanity. Are you telling me you think God is hindered by that? You think that somehow you're... I just think about the people that I've grown to know and love who are in very different contexts than we're in, who don't know how to read at all. And they have an amazing walk with God. They can't, they're illiterate, completely illiterate. And some of you are nodding your head because you've been with me and you know who we're talking about. And that's my point. There's no excuse. Okay, you got to understand, you got to be careful when you're sharing your story. You, you, that is part of your story, that you had an angry father as part of your story. And I'm not saying you should take it, it's part of your story. But just make sure that you're not projecting some idea that you're this way because of that, and that's just the way that is. Mm -mm. Not if you're in Christ, that's not how that works. See, you're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, how many things are new? Some of the things, a couple of things. Okay. And so we say to ourselves all the time things like, well, you know, why, why are, you know, if all things are new, why are, you know, why are all these things still? Okay, well, that's what we're talking about. It's progressive sanctification. So the question is not, you know, when am I going to be perfect? Because the answer to that is, well, when you're with Christ. The question is, am I, where am I today in relation to where I was six months ago? That's a question. That's a question. And sanctification is not, is not you don't equate sanctification to to joy or to ease or to comfort or to, you know, you're, you're not, you don't say, am I more spiritually mature today than I was six months ago based on am I happy? Am I, do I like it? Do I, you, you might be in a deep valley, but you're walking closer with God today than you were six months ago. You're growing. You follow what I'm saying here? So when we're talking about this issue of sanctification and our character and our will. So our character is revealed most of all in what we feel and do without thinking. You see, what our, what, what our, our character does is executes things on autopilot. Well, I don't mean that you do things without thoughts. You don't, you've never done anything in your life without a thought. That's never happened. That has never happened. You've never acted without a thought or a feeling. You've had thoughts and feelings about everything you've ever done, 100%. What I'm saying is thinking. There's a difference between thoughts and thinking. What's the difference? You've done a lot of things without thinking about it. 
You've never done anything without a thought. Thinking about something is like is taking a second and pondering it and considering what are the consequences of it. And right, okay. And so with maturity comes not the maturity doesn't doesn't bring about the the presence of thoughts. Thoughts have been there since the day you were born. Thinking is what comes up, okay? But our character is autopilot. What you do when you think about something, you react in a way that is appropriate. You react in a way that you you convey what you want everyone else to believe about you. How do we know the truth about your character is what you do, right? Just like that. It just comes out of you. That's where our character is revealed. It could be, well, let's ask this question. Why doesn't God just force us to do the things he knows are right? That would, that's a great question. Why doesn't he just do that? Wouldn't it be so much easier? I mean, God. We've done all these things in our life that have caused so much pain and suffering and struggling along the way. And we have all these regrets. And then we, we, we come to a saving knowledge of you. And you redeem us and forgive us. And you put your spirit within us to lead us and guide us. Haven't you ever thought about, you know, you know why doesn't God give us his spirit in such a way that it that we couldn't, we had to yield to it. Wouldn't that be so much better? Like the, we get saved and the Holy Spirit comes in and doesn't indwell us, but it takes control of us. Wow. That would be awesome. But that is not how it works. And why? And that is, simply because it would destroy precisely what God's intended in our creation in the first place. You see, our our creation as image bearers is freely chosen character because that's that's the only kind of character that God's interested in. Now, I always talk about this and, you know, I always say, well, you know, all of you are familiar. I mean, it, you, you've heard me talk about intimacy with God and how apart from choice, the freedom of choice, there can't be intimacy. And I love to talk about the fact that the tree was in the garden for a reason and all those things. But with regards to this conversation, let's look at it a different way. Here's the principle to, to sort of build a foundation on. The value of what you do is based on what motivated you to do it. I don't mean God's value. I mean God's value and your value and my value and all of us. That's how we value everything. It's not what we do. If, if someone does something nice for you, 
Because they had to. The value goes down. If they do the exact same thing with no requirement whatsoever, just purely out of their own volition to do it, the same thing, the value goes up. And yet it's the same identical thing. That's why I don't bring my wife flowers on Valentine's Day. For real. But now, you know, I'm not advocating that for all of you. I'm saying, hey, I started this 30 years ago, so I got it rolling now, okay? But you you can't just flip midstream or it's going to go poorly for you. But here's the deal. If you've gotten sucked into that routine where Valentine's Day is a big deal and you do a bunch of stuff, then you already know what I know. It's not as good as it could be because it's Valentine's Day. If you did the same thing on the most random day, it would blow your wife away. And the only difference is the fact that what's the motivation? See, a lot of that just has to do with my personality. I'm the kind of person where if you push me, I'm going to, I push back. So if you say, well, it's Valentine's Day, you got to do this, that makes me go, poo, you want to see what happens? I don't have to do anything. See, I don't, I don't like that. So, but it, it's, it's how we value, it's, it's our value system. But it's not just our, where did we get that? That's God's value system. What is God doing? Now, there's a lot of theological trains of thought. There's a lot of uh, errant theology out there. There's a lot of churches filled with a lot of people that are in a lot of trouble because they don't understand what I'm about to say. And they think that God is, is looking at them and... Uh, responding to them based on what they do. And they're in for a horrific, rude awakening because that's not how God operates. God's not looking at you and responding to you based on what you do. He's judging the thoughts and intention of your heart. It has everything to do with why you do what you do, doesn't it? Of course it does. So, that's how we, we got that from God. We know that to be true. It only makes sense in that context. And we need to, yet somehow, we get, we're drawn to legalism. Isn't it crazy? Somehow. Because it's a cheap counterfeit, and a counterfeit negates the need for the original. Because a counterfeit comes easy. Let me give you an example. So when God talks about worship, when he talks about you worshiping him and me worshiping him, does he talk about the style of music that we play? 
No, that's what we talk about. That's not what God talks about. Does God have anything to say about the, even the, the, the musicality, the quality, the technical excellence of the music? Does he say anything about that? Nope. I could, I could prove to you from the Bible that I could take a stick and beat on an upside-down five-gallon bucket and worship God more effectively than a, an orchestra. What does God say about worship? What does He say in the book of John about true worshipers must worship me? How? Now I want to ask you a question about that. Did you ever notice in that passage that spirit has a small s, not a big s? It's not a capital. That's not the Holy Spirit. Spirit and truth. Let me give you a little secret about worship. You have never and you will never fake it. Ever. It's impossible. You know what you can't fake? Spirit and truth. Can't fake it. Cannot fake it. And here's the thing. I can't see whether you're worshiping in spirit and truth. And you can't see whether I'm worshiping in spirit and truth. But that's all God sees because that's all he cares about. It's all he sees because that's what matters to him. What matters to him. You see, is the, so if I give you, if someone gives you a gift, what matters to you about that gift? The spirit by which they give it to you. The truth that motivated them to give it to you. See, what, what do I mean by that? So if, I wa if someone walks by and tosses the gift to you and is like, there you go, hope you enjoy it and keeps on walking, that's the spirit they gave it to you. It doesn't matter what's in the box. That affects the way you look at it, correct? Okay, now what if, what if some, the same person comes by and makes a big deal in spirit and hands you this thing, but you know that they don't like you? That the truth that they believe about you doesn't align with the fact that they're giving you this, then what does it do? You see, you can't fake it. you got to worship God on His terms. And this isn't a talk about worship, but that's just a great illustration of what we're talking about. Like, this whole issue of character is something that I'm about to give you this breakdown and... It's painful if you choose to walk it. Because what will happen is it will illuminate and reveal all of your heart deficiencies. Not to me or to somebody else, to you. And it's painful. Because God doesn't like it. He wants to weed it out. And as soon as you make the conscious decision that you want to move in His direction, He's going to bring it right to the surface. You see, God doesn't have to, it's sort of like this issue of transforming your character. 
When I come to God and say, God, I really want you to transform my character. I really want to walk with you in sanctification. God doesn't have to think about, now what area of Tony do I want to work on? It's already, he's been knowing that. He's been waiting on that opportunity. He's been, you see, because his desire is for me to walk in the perfection of the image that I bear. That's his desire for you, right? But we're not doing that. And why are we not doing that? Is it because of God? Is it because of our upbringing? Is it because of our circumstances? Is it, Who are we going to blame? We try to blame everybody, but at the end of the day, what reason is it that you do not walk today in the perfection of the image by which you've been created? You. You. you got to own it. And so if you step off into this journey, just know I'm just telling you. It's glorious, wonderful, amazing, and painful. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I would encourage you to run after it with all you have. But don't be surprised at what's about to happen. Because all of these things are the, are the, the see, think about what the Bible says. The Bible says the will of God is your sanctification. That's his will. So you're not, you know, if people go, well, I just don't know what God's will is. Well, wh why don't you? It's clear as a bell. It's your sanctification. So the question is not, what is God's will? The question is, what needs to be sanctified in me? What, what are the things that God, and, and you think God's going, oh, I'm not really ready to show you that. Oh, I'm not really. I mean, that's his desire. That's always been his desire for you. He slaughtered his son to prove his devotion to always answering this prayer. Like, there's zero 0.0% chance that any of you is going to come before God with a pure heart and say, God, sanctify me. And he's going to be like, oh, no, not today, maybe tomorrow. This is what he's been waiting for, longing for. This is what he's invested in. See, we have a tendency to think that all of the the... And, and look, I'm not being insensitive. I'm talking about me. I have a tendency to think that the dumb way that I have a tendency to live, I could live dumb. It's just, oh, I just got these problems and I got all this, these issues and, I, and these regrets and these mistakes and I'll blah, 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 blah. And I make all these excuses and all these rationalizations and all this God in heaven is just waiting for you. And here's the thing. I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. This is, this is you can't do this with your spouse. 
You're going to take your spouse on the journey with you. You're going to take the people that you're in community with you. But it's a, it's a solo endeavor. So I want you to think about the path to character transformation as this journey, maybe up a mountain, and there's some scenic lookout points that are, that are these are the points where they're going to remind you and, and assure you that you're still on the right course, that you haven't veered off on the wrong trail, that you haven't got, you know, you haven't started doing your own thing. If you want to get to where God wants you to be, these are the lookouts along the path to the top of the mountain. The first one is surrender. Step one. Lookout number one. This isn't at the bottom of the hill. This is the first, from the bottom to the first lookout. That whole part of that path is you Moving in surrender. Surrender is not like you saying tonight, okay, God, I surrender. No, you don't. That's not what that means. Surrender is, is not something you declare. It's something that you do. It's something that you live. So when we surrender our will to God, we consent to His supremacy in all things. This is like sanctification 101. This doesn't mean that we like it. This doesn't mean that we understand it. All this means is that we acknowledge God's supremacy. Basic. I realize that we live in a culture where, you know, in a, for a lot of people who sit in a lot of churches for a lot of time, this would be new information, but that's a conversation for another day. This is lordship salvation. This is the understanding God is supreme in all things, period. You, you may not, look, at this stage in the game, You may not even be able to do what it is you need to do. That's not the issue. The issue is that you're willing. You got it? So if we were talking about worship, you, if you surrendered your worship to God, see, this is, this is a great illustration. Get ready for it. You're going to like it. When Tony surrenders his worship to God, he worships God in spirit and in truth, but he still sings like a half-drunk bullfrog. But my intention and my thoughts are in the right place. I'm worshiping God in spirit and in truth. See, now... The, the way, how does this work, this, this issue of, well, what do you mean not be able to but willing to? Well, because what you're going to learn, what you learn in the first leg of this journey is that God only enables the willing. 
You may want to write that down. It probably should be on your paper. I feel like that's, 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 a, that's good information. He only enables the willing. So the thing is, is that now, can, uh, can, all, can, can all sorts of people in all sorts of different situations see what God's will is? Well, of course they can because it's in so many places it's just obvious. You could read it and know it or hear it and understand it that that's God's will. Plus, God's written his law into our heart. See, so, in other words, what I'm saying is anybody can realize that it's God's will for us not to commit murder. Okay, there's a great example. You don't have to be spiritual to, to see that. But if you don't want to murder people in your heart, if that's your sincere desire, in other words, you can't, you can't stop murdering people in your heart unless God enables you to do it. And what's the key that unlocks the door to that enabling? Your willingness. Because again, can you fool God? No. So He only enables the willing. And if you're not willing, if you're motivated, if you want to grow, God's not going to enable that. Why? Because it's the spiritual principle. God will never be mocked. Ever. It's not going to happen. So He enables the willing. So it's, it's the, the, the condition. To being able to do the things that you see that God's calling us to do. So leg one, surrender. We're learning to surrender. We, 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 maybe we don't like it. Maybe we don't understand it. Maybe, but here's what we know. We know God is supreme in all things. And we're not. And so we're surrendering it to God. So in a lot of ways, in that first leg of surrender, you feel a little bit like somebody caught in a you know, in a blizzard because the world's happening around you and all these things are going around you and you can't, you're just trying to feel your way through it. There's so many people, their whole Christian walk, they never get off the first leg. It's like they're just bewildered by everything that is going on in their life all the time. Like if you, if, listen, I'm just being honest because I love you. If you've been walking with God for 10 or 15 or 20 years and you're just totally baffled by the things that are going on in your life, it's, it's, something ain't right. Like there's a problem with your sanctification. Like you need to grow. Because you know what? The mature people around you, they can see crystal clear. Or if like if you're in community with people and they can see what's going on in your life and you can't, there's a problem. It's not because they they got something. What they have that you don't have, you could have. God wants you to have that. Number two, second leg, abandonment. So now what happens is we, we start to move into this abandonment, which surrender, it sort of covers all of our circumstances, right? We're just surrendering to the fact that God's supreme. And what are we surrendering to? Well, just the basic things that we know that God said, His revealed will, His commandments, the crystal clear things. When we move on this second leg into abandonment, well, we may not be, you know, these things that are happening to us, 
You see, they're not, they're, they're not clear to us, you know, why God's doing the things that He's doing. You know, why does He allow this to happen? We're still wondering that. We're still questioning that. But this is the stage where this is how you would be able to know when you're in the abandonment stage is that you, your value is in the sovereignty and goodness of God. That's when you really start walking in a, in a, in a spiritual growth direction. Things start clicking. Because here's the thing. You, in surrender, the sovereignty of God is starting to take hold. But in abandonment, the goodness of God is now connecting to the sovereignty of God. So that becomes this reality where in my daily life, I'm experiencing the fact that not only is God in control, but I'm abandoning my will for His will because He's good. He's still mysterious. He's still, there's still things that I don't get. There's still things that, but I know that He's good. And so in the midst of, because life is hard, and God's, God wants to grow you, and He wants to grow me, and so He's not going to smooth it out and make it easy. So in this, in this abandonment phase, we know God's sovereign and we know God's good. So what does that translate into in our life? Well, I don't want to use words that are going to tangle you up, but it's the only way to put it. Irredeemable harm does not befall. Those who willingly live in the hand of God. That is so wonderful and beautiful and life-altering. So just know that if you hit catastrophe... And it just blows the spiritual legs out from under you. I mean, it just, you're just, your theological moorings just come totally unpinned. You're on the first leg of this journey. Because if you're on this, if you're on the second leg of this journey, that's not going to happen. It may crush you emotionally. It may devastate you. It may have, it may absolutely, you, you may weep and sob and mourn, and that's not what I'm talking about. But through all of the pain and the agony and the suffering and the process, you know that it's redeemable. You know that Romans 8:28 applies. That's the second leg of the journey. You understand? So you, this is for you to sort out on your own. I mean, this is looking in a spiritual mirror. It's going to read your mail. I always say, I mean, if I'm watching you, go through catastrophe, then I'll know exactly where you are. 
by how you respond. So what's the third leg of the journey? Now we move to contentment. And, and I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, but you know I'm going to anyway. The sad truth about this whole conversation is I don't believe for one second that it's God's will, but it's the truth. It's the third leg of the journey is rare air. So many people never even get to this leg of the journey. So here, not only uh, with who he is and what he's ordained, are we that when I talk about contentment, it's not just I'm content with that God is sovereign and that God is good, but now I'm content with the lot that's befallen me. That's a different level. See, you can be content with the sovereignty and goodness of God and still resent the situation and scenario that you're in, which is probably the most common scenario that goes down. But when you get to the third leg of this journey of sanctification, you're content with the lot. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to watch. You won't need me to tell you how immature Christianity is. Because this election will prove it to you. It'll prove it to you. And it's already proven it to you. Some of you are proof in it. Why are you so bent? Think about the conversations you've had. And how it just negates God. And at the end of the day, here's the sad and painful truth that few people are going to be willing enough, love you enough to tell you. You think you know better than God. And you don't. And you never will. My father-in-law would say amen or choke right there. That's what he'd say. Right there. That is the gospel truth. If you think that most Christians are in this, uh, are, are in the third phase of the journey, just, just look at how they respond to the political climate and it'll prove to you. They're not. They're not. You see, at this stage, we now assume that God has done well by us and will always do so no matter what. Guess what, folks? I mean, I, I don't really care which side of the situation you're on. This is all I care about. It's 
when all this mess is over with? Just know this. God's done good. He's done good. You can't even agree with me. It's killing me. He's done good. Because that's what he does. And thank him. Worship him. God, I worship you because you don't give me what I want. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what? You know what we need a lot of times? We need all kinds of obstacles in front of us, don't we? We don't need the road smoothed out. We need, we need the road washed out. So that when we figure out how to get on the other side of that washed out part of the road, our faith is so much stronger than it was in the beginning. That's what we need. He's good. So see, I don't have to... Tony ain't lost a second sleep and will not lose a second sleep. I'll lose sleep over you, but I won't lose sleep over that. What do you think the fourth one is? Participation. Boy, we might have thought that might have came early on. And here we are up at the summit. We're up here when the air's thin, the wind is brisk. There's not a lot of people around. And you got a bunch of people all around who think they're here. And they're all the way down the first leg. And they think, where I started tonight, they think because of what they're doing that they're here. And in reality, they're at the bottom of the hill. The bottom. But they're busy. They're busy. So here in participation, see, we're no longer spectators, but we're caught up in a vivid and eternal drama in which we play an essential part. Notice, we're not doing a certain thing so that we fulfill a specific need or so that we're used in a specific way or so that we make our perceived difference in this or that. Or That's not what I'm talking about. But you're, you're playing an essential part. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean that as you're, as you're scaling up this journey, is, it getting, is, the, is the incline lessening or steepening? It's steepening. It's not getting easier. It's getting more difficult. And you're getting more winded and you're getting more. And so in the beginning, in the beginning, the first leg of the journey, you had lots of uh, built up, stored up energy. And the further up the mountain you go, your energy meter goes, right? So how do you keep pushing? Oh, it's energy. It's just not your energy. 
Now you're going, there's a whole new energy source. So you're not, it, the, so much of participation that goes on is 100% in the flesh. In other words, you're doing things in your own strength. That's, that's negated. That's not what I'm talking about. And you know it because you're not growing. Haven't you seen busy people that were doing lots of things, and they're not growing? They're not more spiritual. They're, they're teaching stuff and trying to lead stuff and do this and do that, and they're not any more spiritual today than they were six months ago. In fact, what happens is it ultimately exposes their lack of maturity, doesn't it? Yeah, because guess what? It gets hard, and they can't handle it. They don't know what to do. No, this is different. See, you're, you're embracing your, your, your imposed circumstances, right? So this is what I'm doing. I'm going, God, thank you for my president. Thank you if I got the same president, and thank you if I got a new president. I'm embracing it. Thank you, God. Thank you. Because you're smart and I'm not. And you're going to give me what I need. And I'm not worried about that because you're the king. And so whatever that is, I'm sure that in that, it's part of your drama. And I just want to be involved in that drama. I just want to be, I just want to use whatever challenges that come from that in the drama, right? And so if you, what, what, what personal challenges do you have? What baggage are you carrying around? What hindrances do you have? See, what, what, what are your great, here's a good, good way to sort of discern what I'm talking about. Get a, go home tonight and get a pencil and a piece of paper and write down your greatest sources of pain. What are the most hurtful things in your life right now? What are the most painful things in your life? Write them down. What's the top two, top three, top four? Write them down. And then ask yourself this question. Why are those in my life? You think they're in your life? And, and so you can humanize it all you want to. You can come up with a plan. Oh, well, I did this and made this decision, did all that. Hold on a minute. Time out. Remember, a few steps back, we passed what? The sovereignty of God. You didn't do that. It passed through the hand of God. You might have done something dumb, but God still allowed that consequence to happen. So whatever those painful things on your life is, you want to know, what God wants you to embrace and what he's going to use as part of your story, you want to find out where your ministry is, you want to find out where your usefulness is, go to your pain, go to your brokenness, go to your woundedness, go to your regrets, go to, your, go to that. He wants to use that. The Bible says it over and over and over. God allowed you to go through it so you could do what? Just so you could survive? Well, he knew you were going to survive. You're in the palm of his hand. He allows you to go through it so that you can minister to somebody else. That's why he did that. See, when you get to the participation section of sanctification, like you understand that your wounds are your greatest opportunity for usefulness in the kingdom of God. Amen. That's what it's there for. If you don't understand what I'm talking about right now, 
that's what you do. You, you need to you go get a book, go Google it on the Internet. I, it doesn't even matter. Find any talk that Joni Erickson Todd has ever given in a history of her ministry and watch it. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a person who, as a perfectly healthy, normal teenager, jumped off a boat, hit a sandbar, cracked her neck, and became a quadriplegic. And God has used her in the most amazing way. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when somebody can sincerely look you in the face and say, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. I wouldn't go back and have use of my arms and legs for, for $10 bazillion. That's what I'm talking about. That's sanctification. That's character transformation. See, at this stage, we take action to accomplish the will of God and His power. Because our power is depleted. We've used that up. We're out of that. You don't have any more power. And here's the thing. Even if you did at this stage of the journey, you don't want it. Because you know it's insufficient. It won't do the job. There's no mature participation cannot and will never be accomplished in willpower. You, you're not, you're not, at this leg of the journey, you're not willing anything to do. You're not, will, you're not willing yourself to anywhere. That's not how that's happening. You get up every day and you are fully aware and very grateful that everything that God's called you to do and put before you, you're 100% incapable and insufficient of doing. Imagine. You know, I mean, I have lots of great examples of this because, let's face it, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit in my study, read a bunch of books, conjure up a bunch of ideas, come up with something. In other words, my whole life is dependent upon the Spirit of God growing you. And I have zero control over the Spirit of God. So every single time that me or Pastor Matt walks up on this platform, we don't know what's about to happen. And we have no control over it. And there's no sense of going, you know, okay, I got this. We can't do it. It's just existing in the reality that, but you're in the same boat. It's just more, 
It's just easier to see through the lens of this. But trust me, it's no different with you. Same thing. So you're going to move forward, all right? And this is what I want you to take away. I want you to realize that our part is to begin the best we can where we are. The biggest mistake you can make is try to get on this path, you know, in a place that you're not. So how do you know where you are? It's very simple. What I'm about to say is going to be so simple, but so true. You're going to start the same way I start and everybody else had to start. You don't have to know everything about what God has to say. But you know something God has to say, right? Yeah. So start there. Just start doing inventory. Of all the things that you know to be true about God, all the things that you know, it might only be two simple things. You could be a brand new Christian tonight and you'd be like, you know, only thing I know is the Ten Commandments. Praise God. There you go. What a great place to start. Surrender there. Surrender wherever you are with whatever you know. And you know what God's going to do? It, as you're faithful in that, He's going to reveal more. He's always going to be ahead of you. You're never going to catch him. And the, 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 more, the hungrier you are, the more food that's going to be in front of you. And up you're going to go, and up you're going to go, and up you're going to go, and up you're going to go. But the warning is, you do it at your own risk. Because if your motivation is insincere and impure, you're about to endeavor yourself on a journey that you're going to regret ever taking. He's not going to be mocked. The only reason why you pursue God is God. And if there's any other reason, then you got work to do where you are right now. Don't take another step. Amen.